0: It's been so nice because many people who are part of that community have either become vegan or they've just embraced plant-based living more so at least they have some meat free days or they've realized that they don't have to insist that their kids have chicken nuggets and that's okay and it's enough
1: welcome to a new episode of most memorable journeys i have a wonderful guest today a wonderful lady a friend and somebody that I admire because she does everything. She knows how to do everything. She never stops. She is the managing director of a five stars resort. She is a passionate vegan and a passionate representative of veganism. She has a huge Facebook group called Cook Vegan. She's written a book about cooking vegan. And she is a wonderful mother to three kids. And I really don't know how she does everything, but maybe she's going to tell us during this uh, interview. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Farah Shamas. Thank you, Elizabeth, so much for having me on. It's really a pleasure. You are a wizard, as I said, and um, you are also a multicultural girl. Your parents are from different countries. You were born in the UK. How did it all start with you?
0: So, yes, I think um, like many of us, and I'm sure many listeners, I'm definitely the product of globalization or a cocktail, as many people say, for multicultural babies. I was born in London. My father is from Lebanon, but he is originally as well half Lebanese and half Syrian. And my mother is from England, but she is originally half German with a German father and half English. It took four countries, four countries to make me.
1: (laughs) That's probably why. That's why you are so special. The podcast is called Most Memorable Journeys. Do you remember your first flight or your first trip ever?
0: I grew up traveling a lot. My first trip, no, I definitely don't. I was um, four months or probably less, maybe a few weeks old, and I was taken to Nigeria to visit my father, who was working there at the time. So my mom took me there. And then um, we've just spent our whole lives traveling. We had homes in Lebanon, in Cyprus, and in the UK. And we were really divided between the three countries. I remember many people saying, well, that must be quite confusing, you know, as as a family or for the children. And my mother used to say, well, I like to think of it as one home with three rooms. The base and the important part was our family units. And we just happened to be traveling, you know, between all these countries. And it was nice. I mean, we didn't stay, you know, have to stay in hotels. We had our, our homes. But yes, it was a bit confusing sometimes. Or which is our actual room or where do I want to leave my favorite toy or, you know, yeah,
1: there's definitely issues like that with uh, with families that travel a lot. I can see it with my kids because my kids are half Swiss and half Cypriot. And what is the mother tongue, for example, or where is home? But then again, home is where your heart is, isn't it? And it, that can change as well.
0: Yes, I mean, I, I see it with my kids as well because they do ask, you know, where are they from? I think it is important to, to embrace all the cultures and countries that make you you. Um, but on the other hand, it's equally as important to have a base and recognise that base and honour that base. Um, I think otherwise children can get very confused, really not know um, where they're from or, or where they, they feel connected to. And that's, you know, a human must. I mean, that's a need. So um, I think it was quite confusing for us as well growing up. But in the case of my children, I always try and emphasise that they are Cypriots but they do feel very proud of Lebanon. Um, they love, you know, their, their mother tongue is English and they love speaking English. So um, we try and embrace all the cultures. And as my my mum used to say as well, you know, you're just so lucky to have all these cultural influences in your life and just look at them and take the best from all of them. And I do see so many people who are in similar situations to me who maybe didn't take the best from all the cultures, you know, sometimes took maybe the less favourable aspects of different societies. I hope that at least I've taken, you know, or tried to embrace some of the better sides of the Lebanese culture, the Cypriot culture, the English culture. I didn't really have a big German influence, but I know that, you know, there were definitely parts of that that must have trickled down to me you know definitely yeah some aspects so um i think that's the most important thing is to you know really analyze what you would want to be and what you want to achieve and then go for that
1: yeah and I think embracing all these things also makes you so much more open-minded and so much more inclusive because I think one of the big problems in the world is not including people Mm -hmm. no child is born a racist racism is taught Uh, when you grow up in an open-minded home then this doesn't get created Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Lebanon. Do you remember going to Lebanon? I mean, now, obviously, I I, I don't imagine that you're going much these days, but um, what are your memories of Lebanon? Because it's definitely one of my favorite places in the world.
0: When I was growing up, I mean, it was the peak of the civil war, so we didn't go often. Um, I definitely remember going as a child. I mean, I was christened in Lebanon when I was only a few months old. I don't know how my mum did it, actually. It must have been quite scary to travel there. I do have early memories of going back to Lebanon and, you know, the airport was a mess and just seeing so many soldiers and army checkpoints and machine guns. It wasn't just the military uniform that was quite shocking, especially coming from you know, sleepy Cyprus or, you know, the idyllic countryside in the UK or London, but it was also the machine guns and that. And I was very aware of the religious conflicts that was going on. And I remember as a young child, without being directly told, but I wouldn't wear my cross, obviously, out in public. I just felt um, it was quite daunting, I would say, as, uh, you know, for a younger person to be in. But um, we we don't live in Beirut in Lebanon. We're just outside of um, Beirut in Rabia. And there it's very peaceful, very green. But as a child, quite, it could be quite boring. So many people had left Lebanon. You know, our cousins were coming and going. So when, when we did have, you know, all the family there, it was amazing and just so much fun. But when they weren't there, I remember just feeling quite bored and yeah it was it was different and then you know we obviously started going to Lebanon a lot more after 1992 when the war stopped yeah it took a while I mean I, there was a movie once made about Lebanon I can't remember its name and I went to see it in Lebanon in the cinema and it was all about the war and when we left the cinema it was night time by then and we were in the heart of Ras Beirut I think that's what it was called Ras Beirut it was just like we were actually there and then we were almost ducking as we left because we were in the zone of that that movie taking you back only a few years before. Um, but Lebanon's great and it did, you know, rebound so quickly. And the people, my goodness, do they have their own journeys to tell. And, um, you know, it's so vibrant. And within a few years, it was, you know, the party capital again and, you know, a business hub. And it's just amazing. So
1: yeah, they are definitely some of the most resilient people that I have ever met. And somehow nothing just seems to stop them. And I, and that is good. I think that's a great yeah. thing to have that just realized, of course, how much younger you are, because when you were growing up when during the Civil War, I came to Cyprus the first time I started coming here. I, I was sent here in 82 and in 83 when I was here, when I was a young tour guide, Beirut Airport had been bombed and it was closed yeah. and everybody was coming by car from junior to larnaca middle east airlines was operating outside of larnaca airport for a while i remember sitting in my grandparents house
0: be having tea and she had had her you know fine china out and then we could just hear the bombs going off and it was oh those are the bombs and it wasn't that people got cold it's just that that was their life and they just had to live with it you know, coming from abroad and then being suddenly thrown into that environment, you know, for a few weeks, it was, it was pretty insane. It definitely did shape me and make me appreciate peace and um, and the resilience that people have to have. And I think um, it wasn't just that war that shaped me. I mean, my mother's parents, who were uh, from her father. Germany and her mother England, you know, grew up with rations and the war and fighting and losing family. And so we were never allowed to waste as children. You know, we had to make sure we ate all our cereal and that it wasn't, you know, left, you know, stuck on the side of the bowl and things like that. So we really appreciated. We threw, you know, breadcrumbs out for the birds. And, and I'm just so grateful for all these experiences and the silver linings that they they brought to, um, I hope, new generations
1: yeah, I think silver linings is a good word because um, every bad thing has something good coming out of it. It's a shame though that we need to have the bad thing first to learn the good thing, isn't it? Tell me, did you travel later before you settled down? Did you travel to anywhere exotic? What were your travel? or you obviously you came to Cyprus in the summer. What other travel memories do you have? Because after that, I want to talk about your Cyprus story.
0: So growing up, yes, I mean, we were traveling a lot. A lot of people did travel wherever their home was, if it was outside of the UK. But with us, we, you know, traveled to Cyprus and from Cyprus to Lebanon. And then if we went on a holiday, it would be extra. So, I mean, invariably, I was on a plane at least 16 times a year, maybe 20. And we went skiing, um, which is nice, to Switzerland. So we had loads of trips. And then when I went to university, I used to go to Paris a lot to visit my Auntie, yeah, I just enjoyed um, different holidays. but um, I probably was less adventurous than many other classmates because I I just always wanted to come home. So I was studying in the UK
1: but for me home was always Cyprus. There's nothing wrong with wanting to come home. I can see it with my kids. Cyprus grounds you somehow. it's 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 a good place to call home. Yeah, definitely. Now in the meantime, fast forward three children later and a big resort to run. Let's talk a little bit about the St. Raphael Resort, which is very close to my heart because I worked there as a sales executive for a while, but I got married at the St. Raphael. It was the Sheraton at the time, but it's now the St. Raphael Resort. And it, the St. Raphael Resort is big. It's a lot of work. It is. It's a whole, it's like a village. I mean, it's a large hotel, it's
0: 272 rooms. We've now got... 17 apartments in our luxury residential tower that was opened uh, just over a year ago. We have a 237-berth marina, which was the first private port of entry in the island and opened in 1986. Plus, we have huge gardens and a spa and seven restaurants, um, including our new Thai restaurant and the Sailor's Rest um, in our marina. So it really is a whole village. We've got, you know, residential, we've got short term holiday um, hotel rooms. We have um, berths we have port of entry, um, we have members. So it's great. It's busy. It's definitely an active um, place to work. No day is ever the same. And it's really fun. And we have, um, you know, over 250 staff that work for us. So it's family run, but we've really got a family feeling within our, our staff and our team as well. So it's just a great place to have a memorable journey.
1: I have worked in hotels and I have lived in hotels. As a tour guide, there were times sometimes when I lived for three, four months in the same hotel. And I always consider a hotel like a microcosm. It's a little world on its own in the Absolutely. world. It's fully, it's fully functional.
0: Well, it's 24-7, so it doesn't ever shut down like any other business. You know, even if your business is nine to five and you stay extra, how long are you going to stay until eight? You know, you'll go home, maybe you'll work a bit. but in this case, it is really open. You can be in the hotel all the time. You can be in the office all the time. You could live here, that you can drink here, you can eat here, you can sunbathe here, you can party here, you can, you know, you can do everything here. And people expect you to be here all the time. You know, they, they pass by on a Sunday morning and they'll send you a message. Are you at in the office or are you here? They'll come for a wedding and they'll leave at one in the morning and they'll say, Oh, is so and so still here? So, and you might be. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's not a job. It's a profession that is very much a lifestyle. And I think it's something that people have to accept as being that. Um, and if they can't, that's why some people do eventually leave it because they say, you know, their cycle has been completed. And or they leave it earlier because they just say, my goodness, it really is a
1: full on, uh, full on job. Yes, it is. and um, But it's beautiful. I am very, very fond of hospitality, fond of anything to do with tourism. And that's why I think we were both... Well, your daughter this-
0: studied it, didn't she? My well. daughter studied yeah. at
1: the Ecole uh, Hôtelière de Lausanne. I always make a joke. I always say that I sent my daughter to Lausanne because I was hoping that she would marry somebody who owns a hotel chain and I could spend the rest of my life staying free in these different hotels. But I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> happening anyway. Coming back to um, what happened two years ago, when you had to close the hotel and we couldn't travel anymore, how did that feel for you? Oh my
0: goodness! So um, it
1: was a shock that no one in the world could ever have
0: anticipated ever happening. It was like living in a sci-fi movie and a bad one at that. I remember distinctively being at a at a gathering. Um, I don't know, a week before it happened or two weeks before it happened at the beginning of uh, March. And um, someone saying, oh, what do you think about all of this, you know, coronavirus? And I said, oh, my goodness, this is the example of media blowing things way out of proportion. This is ridiculous. You know, we've been through mouth and swine flu and everything else. And this is just going to pass. And within two weeks, I was home and I'd only just had Parissa, my third child. Um, She was born in December, so she was only four months old. And I was uh, home with her, I was really home in the office. And, you know, we just got this news that, you know, it it was here and it was, you know, it spread and it was very serious and flights were being cancelled. And I was just at home and it was almost like this, I won't say panic, but I I would definitely use the word surreal and I would say um, haze of emotions and feelings and reactions and um, decisions to be made so quickly and in such a way that we had never, ever imagined that we would ever have to, you know, anticipate going through and just saying, "Okay, we're closing. We're closing tomorrow. That's it. And that that was it. We just closed. And um, my father was in Lebanon and he called me and he said, what are you doing? And, you know, what's going on? And, you know, actually the next day, the whole island closed. So we we took the decision, okay, a few hours or a day before. But you could see it. I mean, it was there. So I just said, there's no point. We don't even have to wait for anything. We'll just close it. And that's what we did. And um, I am very grateful in Cyprus that the government did support us and help us through these two unprecedented years and that we got through it. And I think it has always been about riding that wave. But I think what um, stays with me and what is um, very much more prevalent than actually going through Corona and having to close down the hotel was the human side of what COVID-19 has brought with it and how it has affected everyone's psyche and psychology so much more and been so much more intense and real, we could have imagined. And that's been the hardest thing. So closing the hotel was tough and it was very emotional, especially for us. Um, that We're a hotel that's not seasonal. We don't close in winter. In our whole um, history that span over three decades, we've only ever closed the hotel Three times, one, the first was to relaunch as St. Raphael Resort and Marina. The second was um, when we opened the 56 bedroom executive wing and we needed to connect the buildings. And then the next was obviously when we were doing the heavy duty work of building our um, residential 14 story tower. Um, and then suddenly we were like open for business and had to, had to close again. But the people side of things, was very sad to see and, and quite emotional it just brought so many um, feelings with it um, not just feeling sad but also from many people's side there was anger there was frustration there was depression there was the uncertainty um, and it was just it was quite difficult to maneuver that and to lead so many staff in such uncertain times where we couldn't promise anything and Everything was so out of our control. Um, So that's been the hardest thing. And then seeing people just leave the industry, just say, you know what, we're done. And I completely understand that. But it's been it's been tough. It's definitely been an interesting time, to say the least. Amazing.
1: Yes, I think it brought out the best and the worst in us somehow. And like you were saying at the beginning, I was in complete denial, you know, like saying, oh, we've had all this before, MERS, SARS, Ebola, whatever, swine flu. And that's why I flew to Argentina on the 11th of March. And you know what happened? I I
0: remember. (laughs) My
1: goodness. (laughs) I learned my lesson, but I would do the same again. You had a plan before this, all this happened. You had gone to Thailand and you wanted to open a restaurant, which you did in the meantime. But um, I know that this is kind of another one of your babies, the golden monkey, isn't it? And definitely
0: a memorable journey. Oh my goodness, I'll tell you about Thailand. So when we started um, to do our strategy for our luxury residential tower, It built on the site of the Phoenician restaurant, which was um, definitely in the 80s, a very well-known Lebanese restaurant that was part of our hotel. And then over the years, we kind of, um, I don't want to say bastardized the restaurant, but we localized it in a way so that we could have um, a mezzo that was more of a marriage between Cypriot and Lebanese cuisine, which was, you know, fine for the tourists at the time. But um, when we were moving forward with the idea of the tower and we wanted to have also a restaurant still there on the ground floor, we said, OK, we've done Lebanese. We're not going to do that again. I didn't want to do a traditional local um, restaurant because we have plenty. And I think it's nice if you really want to experience that, that you actually go to a taverna, not to you know, have this kind of you know, recreated um, version. And we do already have Alagadi in the, in the hotel that has separate food. Um, We have a fish restaurant already. We have a vegan restaurant already. So, you know, various cuisines were proposed, um, Indian being one of them, which might have been great. But I personally don't love Indian food. I'm so sorry if anybody is listening from India. I love um, I love Indian culture. I appreciate the food. I do like it once in a while, but I don't I don't have that love affair with Indian food that I feel I could sell it, you know, and promote it. And you really have to love, you know, what you have. Peruvian was also presented um, as an idea, um, which is very much in fashion. But I personally believe that it's um, fashion trends of a restaurant or for for restaurants at the moment. And it will go and come. Japanese food, obviously, sushi is still around 20 years after having its big, you know, big bang in the world, in the Western world. But we have so many. Um, Chinese, also, we have a lot and I love, love, love. I love Thailand and I love Thai food. And I just think it's um it's a cuisine that can be very upmarket. It has quite expensive ingredients, it can be promoted, um, you know, as an even more, let's say, luxurious cuisine than, than the Chinese. It's flavorsome, and yet you can still have it in a sharing family style, meze style, which a lot of people here want. Um, and we do not have a decent Thai restaurant in Cyprus, we do not have a fine dining let's say luxury Thai restaurant and we don't have an authentic one we've got a lot of kind of hole in the wall um takeaway options that may offer Thai food along with Chinese and Japanese and other cuisine but we don't we just don't have and I was like what a shame and for me as soon as I go abroad if I'm in London I'll be like where's the Thai the best Thai restaurant or where so um this was an obvious choice for me Um, not necessarily for all my family members. So I had to battle my way a bit with that, but then got my way. Uh, And then, so I said, okay, right, I'm going to go to Thailand and do some research. Um, We had originally, um, we were in discussions with a chain to bring a chain here. So we looked into a couple of options of um, chain, Thai chain, just different Thai restaurant chains, Um, but then decided, you know, it's not the first time we've run a restaurant. Like why, why do I need to pay a huge franchise fee what like I'll just create my own decided to work with um a very good family friend um who's based in in between uh, Beirut and Paris who's um, an interior designer and architect and um, we said right let's go to Thailand and do some research so this was before I was um pregnant with Parissa. I booked it for us and um I didn't want to leave my two kids for too long I'm very much a hands-on mommy and we're very attached to each other so we went to Thailand for three days all the way there for three days and we um yeah just had like a mad run to go and buy authentic antiques which all legal we got the licenses to export them to go and find a huge Buddha to get ideas for furniture to get ideas for cuisine to find um you know inspiration and it was like, boom, boom, boom. And uh, amazing uh, trip. We went with Emirates. We um, Was it business or first class? I can't remember, but amazing. Just absolutely beautiful. And um, I loved it. I was so upset when we landed. I was like, oh, I want to stay on. It was the first time I'd been in silence on my own for years, you know. And I, you know, wrote my diary. I read my books. I watched a series. I watched a movie. Oh, my goodness. It was just so, it was perfect. I slept. And um, Thailand was fantastic. And we've now got the Golden Monkey, which um, was our name we came up with, with all its beautiful decoration. Yeah, authentic Thai cuisine. We've got all our all our kitchen staff are from Thailand. And, um, yeah, the Golden Monkey was born. And um, it's so nice to have a piece of Thailand here in Cyprus. And we do honor the Buddha that we brought from Thailand. We do ceremonies daily. The Thai team are just amazing. So, yeah.
1: I can definitely vouch for the golden monkey. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. It's very, very nicely decorated. You did a good job and you went, even though you only went for three days and the food is fantastic. And the cocktails are very special, which is yeah, all inspired by Thailand.
0: And um, yeah, it was only three days, but the whole restaurant was three years planning before we opened, because then, of course, COVID hits as well. And yeah, so we had a long time to plan it. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Let's talk a little bit about being vegan. You are a very passionate vegan and you have every right to be that. And um, how did it start? Have you always been vegan? When did you, what what made you become vegan? Goodness, well, this is my favourite subject. Okay. so
0: now I'm like nearly... Most vegans out there, we all said at some stage, I would never be vegan. Or why? Look at these crazy people or I love meat too much or anything else. So I am like a lot of people in the world who think I was like a lot of people that are currently in the world who think vegans are crazy. I grew up very much in a meat eating household. If we didn't have meat with a meal, let alone in the day, but if it wasn't in a in, in a certain meal, I would say, what is this? You know, we're hungry, we can't. But I was always um, fasting and by choice, not because my family asked me to, but um, I always felt that that draw to um, my religion. And probably from, from a young age, um, from a very young age, I used to just give up something. But then I did the traditional Greek Orthodox fasting probably from when I was around 14, 15 years old. So I would um, not eat meat for 40 days. I did that every year with, with no idea what I was doing. So, invariably, I was sick every year. Um, by the ends of the of the fasting period of the Lenten period, um, <clears throat> I had stomach issues, or I just didn't feel very well. And um, and as I grew up, and probably you know life and stress hit me more. I did develop irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, and also I have I'm a psoriasis sufferer, so um, <clears throat> I had that to contend with also. Unhealthy fasting didn't help. And slowly, I started to get more and more into um, the idea of healthy living and starting to want to research how I can um, be just healthier and live a better lifestyle. So um, I started to eat more fish rather than meat. And one year when I finished fasting, I was in my late 20s. I, um, instead of running for, you know, a piece of chocolate cake and um, a ham sandwich. I just said, um, no, I'm not so bothered. You know, tomorrow I'll have, I'll have some meat tomorrow. And then, you know, Easter Sunday came. I said, oh no, tomorrow. And then tomorrow. And then I, months passed and I realized I hadn't eaten meat, but I was eating fish. So um, eventually I, you know, could call myself, let's say a, a vegetarian or pescatarian. Um, And I I did tend to, I mean, I never ate cheese all my life. I had an aversion to dairy. Um, I was definitely lactose intolerant, although that wasn't a thing in the 80s and 90s. But um, yeah, I didn't eat any form of cheese. And until now, I don't even eat vegan cheese. I just don't like it. Um, So I was, yeah, let's say a dairy-free pescatarian. And then I started to, um, when I had my first child, who's now turning nine tomorrow, um, I you know, I was just a bit shocked by the, you know, pediatrician advice and psychics, Who I've got a very good pediatrician, but the advice that they are told, which, you know, comes from Nestle and HIP and everything else, on what you should give your kids. And I just thought, wait a minute. They're telling me to give my eight-month-old um, processed ham when the World Health Organization has classified this as a carcinogen, And then why would I give my kids sugar and dairy, which we know dairy is bad for you. Anyway, I was like, and I breastfed all my kids, and I was like, hmm, something's wrong here. So I started to research, 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 and eventually I did, um, um, Cornell has an online course that you can do, um, in conjunction with the Colin T. Campbell Institute on plant-based nutrition. So I attained that certificate, and, um, I just said, right, I'm going vegan. I'm not just going plant-based, but I'm going vegan. But it did take me a year to call myself vegan. So I went plant-based. You know, I didn't want to use that label. And so I would, you know, I didn't say, oh, I'm not eating fish anymore. I was just like, oh, I'm good. And, you know, and uh, the whole household, I just kind of transferred to uh, to plant-based food. You know, I started writing down more what dishes we ate and what I could veganize. And, you know, it was quite easy. You can have your, you know, your peas or your beans, but just don't put meat in it or um, put tofu or, you know, soya chunks. Anyway, um, I started doing that. And then everyone started asking me, well, what do you eat? And um, and then obviously my whole life started chatting them you know, now I my leather and, I, you know, I try and live a sustainable lifestyle as much as possible. And my makeup is vegan if it can be. And, you know, um, everything else people started asking what do you eat what do your children eat what do you cook for your family but during lockdown I started doing some research on which direction social media is heading and I was looking into Facebook and I realized Facebook was becoming more and more about groups and communities and I just said oh let me just check what this is all about and I'll make a little group and um, oh, I'll do something about veganism well it's what I cook oh I'll call it cook vegan. And I'll invite a few friends and I'll see what's going on with the algorithms. And I think within three days, this group hit 1,000 people. And then it grew and it grew and it grew. You know, we're over 6,100 people now. But the most important thing is that most people, like over 4,500 of them, are active members. And they use it now to, you know, ask questions, to look up recipes. I post every day... um, For the first year and maybe a half, I posted a new recipe every day. But now maybe I'll just put, oh, I found this chocolate or, you know, give an idea or I'll post something that maybe the hotel has made. So just basically to remind people of what they can cook. And it's been so nice because many people who are part of that community have either become vegan or they've just... Embraced plant-based living more. So at least they have some meat-free days, or they've realized that they don't have to insist that their kids have chicken nuggets and that's okay and it's enough. Or they they've allowed their children, you know, many of them have teenage kids who on their own have said, you know, mommy, daddy, I don't want to eat meat anymore. And whereas the parents might have said, No way, you have to. They're like, Oh, well, she does it, Barbara does it, or I'll look up what she's cooking and I'll make that for my kids. And they're no longer anti their kids, even if they're eight or nine, becoming vegetarian or vegan, they're like, it's possible. Um, So it's been really great to be part of that journey. And I'm so proud of it. And and because of um, Global Women as well, you know, we're such a nice group of women. And obviously there's um, two ladies there that are uh, very active with Algeone Charity, And they said, oh, Farah, you should do a book. And, you know, and maybe give us the, the proceeds. And I was like, you know what, why not? So a year ago, I... Whipped up a book that was um is called Forty Delicious Vegan Recipes, um, inspired for the forty days that we do um Greek Orthodox fasting. Sold it, and it, you know, it made thousands and thousands of euros, which I was able to give to Alkyonides, which was great. And at one point, was the top five hundred book on Amazon for um, vegan recipes, which was great. And now my new book is coming out, which is called Theo the Pig, which is um, a poetic story for vegan and vegetarian children. And also I'd like to think adults as well, or just anybody interested in um, learning a bit more about veganism. And um, it's it's meant to be um, a kind kind story about why people should become vegan through the eyes of a pig that is bred on a farm. And in, I hope, a non-judgmental way Towards farmers and how we can help people make the change and just be the change um, to a new and better and kinder world. So that's coming out, um, I hope, beginning of May. Um, and I've completely illustrated it by hand as well. And it's also got some recipes in the back that all the family can enjoy. Cater for people who have nut allergies, who have are you know looking for halal or kosher food, who um, are dairy free, um, who are gluten-free. So we can definitely you know everyone even i was laughing yesterday you know very dear um guests and repeated guests who've lost all their teeth and need it mashed up or (laughs) babies
1: who need their food um fantastic fantastic we are going to put all those links in the show notes the link to the facebook group the link to the hotel the link to the golden monkey and whatever else I mean, we could talk for hours and hours. There is so much Elizabeth, more to... you and me, we don't have a problem talking. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're going to leave it here for now, but I think we have more to talk about. And I also know that you are planning to start a podcast and I think tell hotel stories. I'm, that is definitely my street because that's where I belong in hotel stories. So I am very, very much looking forward. And I'm sure there are lots and lots of people who want to talk about and hear hotel stories. Definitely.
0: We're going to be starting a podcast really soon. Um, and Elizabeth, I'm definitely having you on for sure, because I know that you've got so many stories. Because the idea behind this podcast is to, you know, have our story as St. Raphael, but, um, and our funny stories and our memorable stories, but also um, other people's stories of not just our hotel, but hotels in general. Why do they choose hotels? What is, you know, interesting for them? what is it like to live in a hotel what is it like in you know a quirky hotel in fun hotels and why should someone you know be interested to work in a hotel so we're going to cover all of these things as well in our
1: podcast that we will be releasing soon yeah fantastic thank you so much Farah, for being on most memorable journey as i said there is a lot more to say but Maybe another time. For now, happy wedding anniversary. You just celebrated 10 years. Happy birthday to Yasmina tomorrow. And happy everything. Just be well, always.
0: Thank you. And I wish you, Elizabeth,
1: also health,
0: happiness, plant-based food, kindness, and so much more. Thank you for being you and so positive. And to all the listeners, it was a pleasure to have you with us. You come to St. Raphael Resorts and check us out. And feel free to get in touch with me over social media. Or via email and I'll be happy to extend um, special rates to anybody listening to this um, so just say I heard you on the podcast what rate can you give me
1: and we'll be sure to take care of you well that's what everybody gets who listens till the end of the podcast episode thank you far absolutely thank you Elizabeth Moore. if you enjoy my podcast please like share and subscribe to my channel you will find all the information in the show notes